Okay, if you've got your lift notes today, you can get those ready. On the back side, there is a, I think, six verses that we're going to be digging into in a bit. And I intentionally left space there because I want to encourage you to make your own notes on those particular verses. Maybe circle something that is highlighted to you by the Holy Spirit. It's an opportunity to come back later process deeper, get into God's Word on your own throughout the week. And back on the front page, the intro of it is basically this. As we are continuing with the theme this year that was not only the theme of our fast, but maybe the theme of the entire year, in some ways it's the theme of our life, Isaiah 9-7, the prophetic word about what the Messiah is going to do is that of the increase of his kingdom reign, there will be no end. And yes, that's an Old Testament prophetic passage about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled it. He said in Mark 1.15, the time has come. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe. That's the good news. That is the gospel according to Jesus. That is the summary of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about that the time has come, it's been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is right here with, at hand. So repent and believe. The good news is God wants his kingdom to increase in your life, always. And then he challenges us to respond. So how are you going to respond to that? Repent and believe. Let your mind be changed. Let your mind be renewed. Let your actions be different. And let you trust this nature of God, the character, the promises all that he is, all that he has for you, trust it so much, you put it into action. That's what belief is. So we've been looking at this incredible truth, this promise of his kingdom increase. God wants there to be no end in your life. You don't put a box on it. You don't say, I think God's done with me. Oh, he's been nice enough. Now he's got to go you know, take care of some other people. I'm going to put some limits here. Oh, no, maybe you know, that's not for me. That's too much goodness of his kingdom. I see it described in the life of Jesus, but no, not, not for me. He wants us to have this hungry heart that says, according to his word of the increase of his kingdom reign, there is no end. And then he wants us to take personal responsibility for our part, our response ability. How can we partner with what he's doing with what he's initiating, because it's a relationship. He's, he, he didn't create us as robots. He didn't create us to, you know, get saved, say yes to him, and then the rest of your life as a Christian is just on autopilot where you just let God do stuff. No way. You have a heart that's surrendered to say, yes, I want to let you do stuff, Lord. I don't want to quench the spirit, but I need to participate every step of the way. Prayer is partnership with God. The gospel is, here's the good news, now what are you going to do about it? You're going to repent and believe or not? And so this life we get to live with God is relationship. No relationship works on autopilot. I mean, just think about it. The best relationships you have in your life, are any of them autopilot? Where it's like, you just let that other person just initiate all these wonderful things, and you just kind of coast and don't respond? Yeah, I see those people in counseling. (laughs) it, It doesn't work well. God's all about 
that initiating. He's always the one initiating, and then he's looking for that real, genuine, relational response. So this morning, we're going to talk about specifically the kingdom increase of knowing God. I'm going to share some of God's heart about that, and then the healthy challenge for how are we stewarding that well. And so to me, this is really where it all starts. When we talk about kingdom increase, everything in life is meant to flow out from this one thing right here, our eternal life, which starts now, which is all about a relationship of knowing God in increasing measure. Jesus said it like this, John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Are you lacking in the clarity of purpose for your life? You only need like five words. This is eternal life, that you would know God. That's Jesus' heart for you. That's why he came to earth, that we would have the privilege to know him now and welling up into all of eternity. It's in in, in my mind, I think it's healthy to think about it. We've already started eternity. The way that heaven is described is just the full extension of what begins now. It's the kingdom in its consummation. But it's, it's not different in its nature in the sense of like, oh, life begins all about knowing God now, and then in eternity you do something radically different. No. Or it's not like, oh, wow, you get to know heaven. In in heaven, you get to know God, but now you don't. That's the thread that runs all throughout Scripture. Even, I mean, you talk about creation. What did Adam and Eve lose in the garden? Walking with God in the cool of the day without shame, without fear, without scarcity. Just direct face-to-face connection with God. That was lost. In Christ, it's restored I mean, I just skipped over the whole Old Testament, but that's what, they were, that's what they were going for, that intimacy with God, how to be in covenant relationship. And Jesus is the one that makes it possible, and now it's all the way welling up into eternity. It's simply knowing God. The Apostle Paul was wrecked in the best possible way by this, and this is his life testimony. He did ministry from the place of overflow of his own life. That's why we want to start right here, which is knowing God, and it's very personal. I have a deep fire to get to a place in our messages this year where we're focused externally, outward, get out into the streets, find your sphere of influence, find the place where God is calling you to move mountains, but I, and I was ready to like this, in my mind, we were going to be nailing that right now, and the Lord said, slow down, man, <laughs> Let the intimacy of your relationship with God be what overflows out into the world I've given you. Because if you and if you don't have that flow, that sequence, you don't have anything to share. And so Paul lived that out, and his testimony, what God had done in him personally, is what fueled his fire to go change the world. He was so utterly convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt of how real Jesus was, how good he was, how all of the truths, all the things that Jesus said about himself are true, all his promises are real, and if that's true, then he is worth everything. 
And that's what Paul was going after. This is his own testimony in Philippians 3.8. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. So it's this beautiful testimony that kind of shows us a little bit behind the scenes of what motivates Paul. And it's that knowing Christ, the intimacy of knowing God, is better than anything else. He discarded it all. He gave it all up. He even considered it garbage compared to how awesome simply knowing God is. And he had a lot to give up. And he talks about it in that passage. I mean, he was what? He was a Jew of the Jews, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, you know, a Benjamin he was of the right tribe. He was of the right family. He was of the right education. He was of the right position. He was of the right prestige. He was, he, you know, from that first century cultural perspective as a Jew, he had it all. He had everything that, that would make one envious to say, man, you know, that's what I wish my life was like. And he has this radical testimony saying, in comparing those things, if I'm going to take all that, as my source of hope, joy, peace, life, it's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. So he says, I discarded it all as the ultimate pursuit of my life. The ultimate pursuit of his life is knowing Jesus. Now, he still used all of those things. So let's, let's be clear. In being the missionary sent out to the world, all of those things still came into play all the time but they weren't his source. What he went to as the living water, the bread of life, was simply that relationship with Jesus, the intimacy with Jesus, knowing God. And everything else, he says, is like garbage when you try to replace knowing Jesus with that stuff. So I get fired up because it's like, okay, we're talking about kingdom increase. There's no greater kingdom increase than any of us could experience than simply increasing in personal, intimate, knowing God. I've been kind of haunted by a verse. Larry said that, that uh, word to me the other day. I liked it, so I'm going to use it. Uh, but this is my verse, not your verse. Psalm 105.4. Seek his presence continually. I read that in the second half of last year, just in my own reading. And, and wow, God's been, God's been stirring that up in me as like, Again, you want a nice, concise purpose for your life? Well, there it is. Seek his presence continually. It's the exact same thing as eternal life is knowing God. Seek his presence. The literal word for presence is his face, his countenance. So again, from, from garden, from the garden, walking with God face to face to seek his face continually to Jesus making it possible to know God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it's beholding Christ, seeing him face to face. We're transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's all these just pictures of the exact same thing. Intimacy with God, knowing God, true personal relationship with God. That's you, just you. Now it moves outward and it's experienced in community, but it's you, it's personal. Seek his face. Seek his presence continually. It reminded me initially 
of a verse that used to terrify me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. It's the same kind of sense. Pray continually. Other translations, never stop praying. Pray all the time. They're all good translations. And they used to terrify me, honestly, because in my mind, it, it was, I only knew prayer in the context of working through a list of requests. So pray without ceasing sounded awfully lonely and boring for an extrovert, you know? Like, I got, oh, really? Isn't there more exciting things we could do with our life? But it was actually what this verse is describing is a way of being, a way of existing where you simply live in constant communion with God. That's the only thing it can mean because there's nowhere in the Bible, nowhere does it describe a life where you cut yourself off from all relationships and people and activities and work and play and you just, you know, are alone praying. No, nowhere. Are there times to be alone and pray? Yes, But this verse only works because it's describing a way of life. You are made to exist in communion and connection with God. This is the exact same idea in Psalm 105. Let's go back to it. Seek his presence continually. Some other translations that are all good. Seek his face always. Continually seek him. I like this last one from the message. Be alert for signs of his presence. So similarly in this pray without ceasing, seek his presence continually, it's all a call to invest everything we have in knowing him, in being with him, in walking with him, in seeing him, in being aware of his presence. You could use all these different images and analogies that the Bible uses. It's all the same thing. It's about being constantly connected to him in relationship. It's what life is all about. Digging a little deeper, the word seek in Psalm 105 is from the Hebrew bakesh, and I am probably pronouncing that very wrong. But the word has some meaning that's really fun. It means to discover. So when, when the psalmist says, seek his presence, You're on a treasure hunt. There's a discovery that you are going after. It literally means to attempt to get something or to reach something that one desires. So you have a desire for God. You have a desire for God's presence. So you're reaching for it. You're attempting for it. You're looking to discover more of God. That's healthy relationship. This is, there is no autopilot Christianity. This is not working your way to salvation. This is appropriate response in relationship. If you want to be intimate and close with God, autopilot doesn't work. That's what this is going after. Seek, discover, put your effort to, with that passion of your heart to grab hold of, oh, it's the same thing as the gospel. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe. It's right here. Grab hold of it. So Psalm 105 paints this picture that we get the privilege to discover more of God in relationship. The kingdom will increase. Knowing God will increase. That's God's will for our life. And for right there for me to step back and just pause, like, 
if we think about life, the big picture, what are we doing here? What is the purpose? To see this thread run throughout the entire Bible, not a thread, it's the theme. <laughs> it's the theme from the beginning to the end. We were created for relationship with God, and God can be known. I mean, that's a mind-blowing thing to claim, to believe, to act upon. And it's actually the very center of everything in the Bible, saying this is the thing to believe, to think upon, to act upon. This is the center of life. It is eternal life. But it makes me ponder sometimes, like, how available is God? Sometimes, even Christians talk, think, act like God is not very available. Like he's far away. I mean, just be honest. Like when you wake up in the morning, how available is God to you? Is God like far away, maybe a little busy, maybe too holy, you're not worthy? Maybe he's disciplining you for something, so he's you know, kind of forsaken you with his presence for a while. He's withdrawn himself. He's hiding in a way. There's a lot of different images that Christians say, use, talk. And what I want to paint a little bit more of a picture of this morning is how we have to be really careful how we think about and answer the question, how available is God? There, there's two ways that, that I think it can be really dangerous. One is when we conceive of God as outside of us and away from us in too much emphasis. We prayed some prayers this morning that I'm in 100% agreement with. Pour out your spirit. Well, that's a good Acts 2 prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. It's good. We emphasize what Jesus mentioned, that when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So there's a special way that he loves to work corporately. 1 Corinthians 12 with the gifts of the Spirit are described, talk about a manifestation of the Spirit in the body together. And the literal Greek sense of that is the dancing hand of the Spirit. As it gets to the end of the passage and says, so the Spirit manifests to e in each person according to how he wills, how he desires. It's, it's the, the sense of it is far more like artistic and playful. It has, a, it has like a word picture of like a dancing hand. Like God's having fun. Among us, when we gather in community, so this is a, another plug for life groups, by the way, when we gather in community to pray for one another, to process life, to go out into the streets and, and evangelize and share God's word, the, the Holy Spirit likes to move among us like a dancing hand. God's having fun, saying, hey, I'm going to give you this gift right now. I'm going to manifest my power through you in this way, and you get a word of knowledge, and you get a gift of healing, and you get a fun clue here, and, and all of it's just to humble you and, and make you laugh and make you realize you're just a kid, and I'm awesome, and you get to be along for the ride. 
So there's some good, healthy prayers about like the Holy Spirit coming in that way. But that's corporately. And I feel like we need to be really careful that we don't take those kind of prayers into our personal, intimate time with a sense of like, you're out there, you're not in here. Because then you get into these places like you're, 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 you're not with me. You're, you're out there. You're kind of doing your own thing. And now I kind of, well, I don't know what I need to do. Do I need to be good enough and earn it to where you like come and show up with me? And what I want to just try to demonstrate in God's word is that he wants you to be 100% convinced that as a child of God, he is already completely with you and in you and never will forsake you, and that doesn't change. And if we can believe that, it gives us a completely different starting place for intimacy with God. Because if we think he's like out there, and somehow we've got to like, you know, do the dog and pony show good enough to where we get his attention to where he shows up with me, it's a, it's a well, it's just not biblical, but it's, it can be extremely harmful, and I've seen it over and over. We have to learn to believe that the living water of the Holy Spirit is already an eternal well completely inside of you. And and when we can get the fullness of that for personal intimacy with God, when we think about how available is God on a daily basis, if you already know that he's with you and in you in the greatest possible way, that the Bible describes, it's such a better starting place. And let's kind of walk through why. Here we go. All right. So some of the ways that God is already with us, already making himself available to his children. Here we go. Hebrews 13.5. Describing God's availability talking about intimacy with God. How can you know God? How, is, how, how available is God for you to walk with him each day? Hebrews 13, 5. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now that, that kind of one means a lot to me because I, I don't know, maybe I just heard it a lot in college and with even some mentors. It was this sense of like, God forsakes us on purpose at times to teach us lessons. He withdraws his spirit in order to, you know, strengthen our character. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's lumped right in with the picture of, like, the wilderness. I'm going through, like, a wilderness season. Now, I, I, wilderness seasons are real. They're all throughout the Bible. Almost every her- hero goes through wilderness seasons. But... The, the picture of it was like, because God just doesn't feel near. It feels like God is gone. I can't find God. God is absent. I'm praying, and I just, I don't know. I don't feel his presence. He's not here. He's withdrawn. Maybe, so, so the conclusion of that is, well, I guess God's doing that on purpose. He's like removed his presence because somehow it's good for me. And I, you know, as a young kid hearing this from mentors and peers, I was like, what the? That's, why would God do that? Like, what? What's accomplished by God ditching you? I don't get it. How does my character get formed? 
I'm made to know God. So God's going to form my character by saying, ha ha, I went through, you know, came through heaven, went through hell so that you could be with me. But now for a little bit, you're not going to be with me. But that's what people believe that. You wake up in the morning and it's like, no, God's kind of, he's gone. I guess it's part of his plan. He's just gone for a while. I'll, I'll chill on autopilot and he'll come back when he wants to. And there's this sense of that and it's pervasive. It really is, whether it's spoken or not. And, and for me, it's like this, okay, let's look at the wilderness picture. Did God ever forsake anyone in the wilderness? That's not what it's about. It's about seasons of trial. That's true. And it's about how God is going to be with you in the season of trial and bring you through it. Like, what the biggest wilderness picture in the whole Bible is the Exodus, right? It's not about God forsaking them, leaving them on their own. It's about God taking them through in order to get to the promised land. And yes, there's trials in it. And yes, there's purifying of the character. But the point is, but God's there the whole time. He's there with a you know, pillar, of fire by day, pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He's giving them manna, you know, and meat, and he's providing for them. He's speaking to them. He's giving the Ten Commandments. He's making a new covenant with them. I mean, God is there the entire time. He didn't forsake them. Same thing with Jesus. He's in the wilderness. Like, and, and what's the whole point? He's fasting in order to feast on God's presence, saying, I have food you don't know about. The devil tries to tempt him with food, and he says, what does Jesus say? Well, that's tempting because God forsook me out here. No, his whole point is like, I am, I am strengthening my soul right now on this reality. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, he's out there in the desert communing with God so he doesn't need the bread. God didn't forsake him. And so that's where, for me, it's like, we, we just have to get rid of forsaken theology. Get it out. You are not an orphan. God does not forsake you. What does it say? I will never leave you or forsake you. John 14, 15 to 23, Jesus says it like this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate, a helper, a wonderful counselor to be with you forever. And God doesn't change his mind and say, you know what? I'm just going to kind of like make it a little hard for him for a bit to squeeze him and punch him. So I'm going to remove myself from him, break my own promise, and they're going to learn some good lessons. He does not forsake his children. He goes on to say, I will not leave you as orphans. See, so that's, that, that's to me, that's, that's a lie that needs to be broken in Christianity. An orphan mindset that says, how available is God? Well, I'm not really sure what kind of mood he's in today. No. Orphan mindset. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What does it say? I will come to you. Anyone who loves me, they obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. We will make our dwelling. I mean, that's one of the craziest ideas in the universe the transcendent god of all creator of all says to my children you believe you believe in me you accept me you are born again you're born into that newness of life that eternal life through the life death and resurrection of jesus christ i will make my home in you i will not leave you as orphans on the last day of the feast, it says in John 7, Jesus stood up and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart 
will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, after Jesus goes through hell on our behalf, dies and is risen again, and the Holy Spirit comes and falls, that's the new covenant. That's the new normal, the new relationship, the new promises fulfilled of Jesus that he will not leave us as orphans, he will never leave us or forsake us, he will come and make his dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. And listen to what it says. This is what it says about the Spirit, and its living waters will flow out of you. So where are those living waters? In you. Where is the Holy Spirit? Way out there. No! (laughs) In here! In here! In here, already there, completely, and desiring to bubble up and flow out. That's totally a different way to wake up. He's already mine. I am his and he is mine. Well, that's a good song. Let's sing it. Come on, come on Khalid, let's go. <laughs> I am my beloved's and he is mine. He's mine. I'm his. I'm not going to forsake him. He's not going to forsake me. I get to wake up in the morning and bask in the reality. I'm already his. He's already here. It's so different than, oh, he's way out there, and what do I have to do to get him to come over here and pay attention to little old me today? Get rid of that junk. John 10, 3 said it like, Jesus said it like this, my sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. And he's talking about himself, third person, the shepherd. He's using third person because he calls himself the good shepherd. The good shepherd says, the sheep hear my voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. You are his own. The good shepherd does not leave the sheep. They will just fall off a cliff because they're not the brightest creator, creation, (laughs) creatures. And I didn't use that analogy. Jesus did. So you figure out in what way you're sheep-like. We need the good shepherd. We need him. And that's okay. It's good. But here's the point. And because we need him, he's not going to leave us. Bad stuff happens. In fact, he says, you're mine. You are mine in the best possible way, like a child. I want, I want the father to say, hey, you, you're mine. I want to hear him call my name because he knows me. And I get to be his beloved child, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Look how personal this is. He calls his own by name. You wake up in the morning, how available is God? Well, Jesus says he's so available, you can hear him calling you by name. It's not way out there. He's in here, and he's calling your name, because you're his. Or the last one in Revelation for today, Jesus is talking to a church. This is... The assumption is it's a group of believers of his children. They already know him. And his picture is this. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will eat with him and he with me. That's just a picture of friendship. We've talked about this before. To share a meal in that culture, to open your home to someone, is to invite them to say we're, we're equals. Because there's lots of class stratification, and that's why Jesus got in so much trouble for eating with sinners. So to open the door of your home is to acknowledge this equality in relationship, this mutuality in relationship, which Jesus is saying, do it. <laughs> it's a good idea for you <laughs> to acknowledge that, to invite me in. And, but it's, it's just to be with him. He, he's already there. Got to follow the picture. He's already there. These are believers. But he's saying there's a sense in which you woke up in the morning. Where is he? He's knocking. And he's calling your name. So there's these pictures of like, are you opening the door? Are you listening? So just how available is God? That's the question we start with. Well, in a relatively short amount of time, looking at some scriptures, we have seen that he has made his dwelling place with you. Just how available is he? Well, he lives there. He also promised that he will never leave you and never forsake you. You are not an orphan. He won't treat you as an orphan, and he doesn't want you treating yourself as an orphan. He speaks to you personally, personally. And this is where that intimacy, sometimes we get uncomfortable. Oh, the focus is too much on me. Well, it's Jesus' fault. He said, I call you by name. So if you're not hearing him call you by name, you haven't got to know him personal enough yet. So don't get all like pretend holy and say, oh, it's not all about me. It's other people. Stop it. Don't be holier than Jesus. He says, you are created to know him in a way where you know he's calling you by name. Because you're not just another number to him. You're a child with a name. And you wake up in the morning and that's how available he is to you, talking to you. And he's pretty cool. He can talk to you and to that person and to that person at the same time. So don't worry. It's not all about you. The presence of the Holy Spirit is like an eternal spring. Where's the Holy Spirit? Oh, he's way out there. Come, Lord, stop it. You wake up in the morning, he's right here. He's already in me. He's wanting to flow out. Maybe I put the cork on it. Don't quench the Spirit, the Bible says. Don't resist the Spirit. I like that picture. I think the whole Jesus, man, I like Jesus. Jesus makes a cool picture. The Holy Spirit's in you. When you get to know him, you accept him, you believe in him, you taste the living water. And what happens? It, it gets a well, gets birthed inside of you of an eternal spring that wants to flow out. I think a very healthy picture of, well, why isn't it flowing out? Is, okay, well, are you quenching it or resisting it? Are you putting the plug on it? It's a spring. It wants to flow. Maybe if it's not flowing, it's not the spring's fault. He's available. And he's, out, and he's just hanging out right outside the door saying, can we be together today?
So you see, he's already there. He's already in your heart. You're already saved. It's already a church. He's just saying, but I'm knocking. I'm not going to force my way in today. You wake up. Is he available? He's like, I'd like to be with you today, he says, just for a meal. There's no other purpose than to enjoy each other's company. So when it comes to knowing God more, maybe the real question is, just how available are you? Man, there was like no response to that whatsoever, so we should stop. I take that as a healthy challenge. I, I, that's my challenge for myself. I am utterly convinced from God's word that when we ask the question about availability, how available is God, there's an overwhelming message in God's word, the truth of who God is, that he is available. He wants Knowledge of him to increase. Encounters with him to increase. Experience of him to increase. Intimacy with him to increase. Paints it in a thousand different ways in God's word. And so we just have to be real though. It's a real relationship. It's part of the gospel. It's the central point of the gospel, knowing him. So anything that's gospel truth always has a response. Repent and believe. There's a part that we play. So I'm very serious when we're asking this question, saying maybe the right question when we're thinking about encountering God is not how available is God, but how available am I to God? Psalm 105.4, we'll close. That's the whole point of Psalm 105.4. Seek his presence. This is the great privilege of our life. We get to choose where we are going to put our, the energy of our heart, mind, and spirit with our life. And this verse is giving us a nice, simple, clear direction. Seek his presence. This is what you go after. This is what you desire and long for. This is what you discover. This is where your mental, spiritual, primal energy goes because you are created by God, the creator of the universe, to know him. I mean, if he's already with us, and it's our part, we get to seek him. We get to cultivate that awareness. We get to open the door. We get to kind of dig the well, so to speak. I think there's this beautiful sense, you know, it's like, where's God? Well, I think he's waiting on us in a way at times. What if he's already there and waiting for us to seek him? What if he's longing to be with me, but I've left him waiting at the door? What if he's already with me, but I can't hear him because there's too much other noise and clutter? So I don't hear his voice because I am listening to a lot of other voices. All of these pictures show a God who has done everything needed, everything needed so that we can know him intimately. So I would challenge us, the privilege of our life this year is to be considering and continuing to ask. So knowing that God is available and has done everything needed so that we can know him in increasing measure, 
How are we responding to that beautiful invitation each and every day? Let's pray on that. Dance a new dance